Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Foothills family, how we doing? Yeah. Hey, happy 4th of July. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joseph. I'm the campus pastor from our Pendleton campus. And uh, as I'm saying that, I want to say hello. Would you guys help me welcome our Pendleton campus? Yeah. Hey, I love you guys over in P-Town. I miss you. And hey, I want to say hey to all the daddy sharks over there. I wore this shirt just for you. You guys in Seneca may not know what that's about, but you can ask me later. But man, it is so good to be here with you guys today. And hey, we're in our summer series, the spinoff series. Many of you might remember last year was season one. If you didn't see that or you're like, I didn't even know there was a season one, you can go back and check that online uh, at, with our messages. But you know, spinoff series. What, what is a spinoff, right? You know, usually there's a TV show and then another one spins off from the tail end of it. And uh, I was thinking about some of my favorite spinoff shows and one of my favorites of all time of my generation, you know, I'm kind of a, a 90s kids was Family Matters. If you didn't know that Family Matters is one of the ultimate spinoff series from the TV show, Perfect Strangers. And if you remember anything about Family Matters, it was who? Steve Urkel, right? Got any cheese? Did I do that? Right? Amazing, amazing. So we're in this series called Spinoff Series. And the reason why we're calling is that is because we're going to look at some secondary characters in the Bible that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. And we're going to be exploring some truths that we can learn from their lives and different things like that. So I'm excited to kick this series off. You're going to hear from some great communicators over the next few weeks, and it's just going to be a great time together studying God's Word. But let me ask you guys a question this morning. How many of you have ever been in a situation where it just seems like no matter what you do, just over and over and over again, you end up right back in that same situation? Has anybody ever been in a situation like that? You know, for me, that was when I was in elementary school. I remember when I was in elementary school, you know, contrary to what you might think or believe, I, I was not an angel in school, okay? I know you might think that, but I wasn't. And in my elementary school at this time, we had this principle that when he walked and he talked, everyone feared, okay? I mean, he just had the principal look, he had the principal smell, and he had the principal hair, okay? He, I mean, he had like the cul-de-sac look, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, I think he wore like the Mr. Rogers sweaters. And uh, some of you guys over in Pendleton, I'm not gonna say his name because you probably went to elementary school with me and remember, um, but he would walk up to you, you'd be standing in the line, you know, about to go in class or, or you're in the cafeteria and he would walk up. I don't think you could do this today in today's time, but he would walk up to students and he would put his hand right on your shoulder and he would squeeze and you'd almost go to your knees cause he squeezed so hard. I mean, it's just, everybody feared him. Okay. And one of the reasons why we feared him was because in back in that day, you could get a paddling in school, okay? 
They could take this board and smack your rear end and, and knock some sense into you. Anybody grew up in that era? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. And um, I, this principal, I mean, he, he was that kind of guy. And I, I remember this one day I ended up in the principal's office and I had heard stories about this paddle and he had this golf picture on his wall. And if he was going to paddle you, he'd make you stare at his beautiful golf picture. Right. And, uh, he pulled out this paddle and it made it had like duct tape and I think like, you know, spikes on it and all kind of stuff. And, uh, it didn't really have spikes, but you know, your mind, you think that as a child. And he, he's like, if you guys don't straighten up, you're going to get this paddle. And he slammed it on the desk and man, every bit of me drew up. I mean, it was like, yes, sir. And I remember I was so nervous when I left his office, like the sweat that had my body had perspired, like my shirt was stuck to my body and I left. I was like, oh my goodness, we almost died, right? And I remember I, I met him in, in the hallway. I, I seemed like I just couldn't stay out of trouble. And he, he knew, you know, the principal knows your name, y'all. That's not a good thing, okay? Uh, so he, he comes up to me and he, he didn't call me Joseph. He just called me Bennett you know, real serious with the last name. I think he thought I was my brother. So like that probably didn't help either. Right. He come up to me and he said, Bennett, if you don't stay out of trouble, you're going to end up back in my office and you're going to get a paddling. And, it, and guys, I didn't want a paddling from the principal because I grew up in the day. If you got a paddling at school, guess what? You got another one when you got home. Anybody? Yeah. Uh, so y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so he tells me, you're going to end up back in my office and get a paddling. Well, that night I get home. I'm so scared. My parents are going to find out. I'm so scared. He's going to paddle me. So I come up with this solution. Like I, I, I'm going to outsmart this guy, right? I'm, I'm, you know, in elementary school, he's not that bright, right? So what I decided was I'm going to go to my underwear drawer and I open my underwear drawer and I've got all this underwear in there. And I'm like, if I just pad my rear end with a bunch of underwear, it won't hurt when I get a paddling. So I, I pull the drawer open and I start putting on underwear and I smack my rear end. Well, that still stings a little bit. So I put on another pair and smack it. It still stings, man. I'm just putting on underwear, smacking my rear end, putting on underwear, smacking my rear end. And before I knew it, man, it looked like I smuggled a pack of Charmin ultras back here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was just like, I am not going to get back in this situation again, but it just seemed like over and over, I ended back up in that same situation. I just kept getting into trouble. And maybe you've been in a situation like that before. You know, maybe it's the bill collector just keeps calling and it's like, man, you think you got it fixed and then another one calls. Or maybe you keep disobeying your parents and you keep having all of these issues, right? Maybe it's some other kind of issue, but the list can go on and on. We've all been in these types of situations and the good thing is we're, we're not alone. This was much like the Israelites that I, I want us to look at in the book of Judges. Judges chapter three, if, if you've got a Bible this morning, it's th this group of Israelites, they, they just kept getting trouble. Many of you might remember the, the Israelites had escaped from Pharaoh and, and, and Moses. You kind of might know that story, but the Israelites just kept getting into trouble. And, and we're going to see that in Judges three, looking at, starting in, in verse 12. And I think there's some things that we can learn 
here. And, and we're going to see this today. So verse 12, it says this. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Now listen, this is really not the kind of sentence you want to describe you, is it? Think about it. If someone said to you, you know, hey, who, who's that guy over there? And, and, and what did he do? And you said, oh, well, that's just John. You know, again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like, that's not how you want people to talk about you. But the Israelites, they're, they're stuck in this predicament and, and they can't seem to get out of trouble. So look down again at, at verse 12. So it says, once again, they, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over, the, over Israel because of their evil. So this evil king now gets to reign over these people over the Israelites, which was God's people. So Eglon enlisted the Ammonites he and the Amalekites as allies. And then they went on and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Psalms, of Palm, excuse me. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. So for 18 years, they, because they would, you know, cry out to God, and then they get back in trouble. God allowed this oppression to happen under the reign of this evil king, Eglon, and they're in a very difficult situation under a very difficult leader. Look again in verse 15, what happens next. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer, or some versions say a deliverer, to save them to save them from this king. And his name was Ehud, son of Gera. Now, how many of you this morning uh, know someone named Ehud? <laughs> Probably not, right? I, 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 I doubt that the name Ehud is on the top 20, 23 baby names of this year and the next year, right? Probably don't know anybody like that. And, you know, it, there's a lot of people that named their kids Bible names, but I've never met an Ehud. And if you're an Ehud here today and you're watching online, please send us a message. I'd love to connect with you because uh, that's, that's a cool name. But uh, we name our kids Bible names. Each one of my kids have a family name and they have a Bible name. And I heard the other day, though, that, that we should really stop doing that because we're kind of doing our kids a disjustice, right? You know, because let's be honest. Our kids aren't, aren't like the people in the Bible, probably, right? I mean, come on. You know, I, I had somebody introduce me to their kid the other day, and they were like, hey, have you met my son, Paul? And I was like, no, I haven't, but your kid's definitely not Paul. He's Saul, okay, if you follow me. Um, so, but God raised up this leader, Ehud, uh, to go and deliver the Israelites from the reign of this evil king, Eglon. And here's some interesting things about Ehud that we find in the Bible. Look, look down in the next part of the verse. So you got this guy, Ehud. He's a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute to King Eglon of Moab. So you've got just this ordinary guy, Ehud, who's been raised up as a judge. That's what the book of Judges is about. The judges coming to deliver Israel from the evil that they've done and, and deliver them from this evil king. So God raises up this deliverer named Ehud to deliver them from this evil king, Moab. 
And one of the, 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 there's three truths this morning that I believe it's, that's what's so cool about the Bible, that we can learn things even from a story that we probably maybe have never heard in church, or maybe we've never even read before in the Bible. But I believe this morning, there's three truths that we can see from this story about Ehud. And the first one is this, is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Think about this. There's, there's this left-handed guy. And, and at the time of, of culture, you know, that he was in, in these Bible times, probably people being left-handed was very unheard of. It was probably even, he was a Benjaminite, so it's probably even looked down upon that he was left-handed, but he was, he was just this ordinary guy. There was nothing super special about him. He was left-handed. And, and some of you, you know, you know that uh, there's some difficulties with, with being left-handed. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're left-handed people living in a, in a right-handed world. And, and in fact, I'm left-handed. Are any lefties here today? Yeah, y'all give it up for the lefties, right? All right. Y'all didn't get that, right? Okay. But, you know, here, here's, here's what I know. That all of the left-handed people in this room will understand this struggle. Can you guys show this photo for me? Yeah. If you're a left-hander, come on, you know, that's the struggle was real. And the right-handers are going, what's the problem here? Okay. Well, when you write as a left-hander, you, you, you get this like left-handed smudge. Anybody ever had that happen? Lefties in the room? Yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about, you know, and, uh, right-handed people will never, never understand that, you know, and guys, here's a couple of things I want to tell you about left-handed people. Okay. And, and I, I know this because I am one, you know, scientists have discovered that left-handed people have more advantages in day-to-day -day life than people with no hands. If you didn't know that they really do. You know, and I don't know about you guys, but I really hate how some people just disrespect left-handed people. It just isn't right. Um, I, you know, I understand though, why you don't trust people with left hands, you know, that use their left hand. It is a right. They're never right. Um, left-handed people can't do anything right. Okay. I'm sorry. That's, that's it. That's it. So Ehud, he was left-handed and, and why did people back in the day not accept, um, left-handed people? because it wasn't right. Okay. No, I'm really done now. Um, but anyways, God uses this ordinary guy Ehud to be this deliverer, to do something extraordinary. And, and the, the thing that I want us to learn this morning is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. As we see that God uses this man Ehud, he's also going to, he can use us and he wants to use us. And what might seem like a weakness for so many is actually something that can use for our great, be used for greatness. First Corinthians says these words, kind of about our weaknesses and how God uses them, says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. I don't know about you, but man, that, that kind of describes me. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and look at this, and uses them to bring nothing, 
to bring to nothing what the world considers important. The great thing, guys, that I love about the Bible is that it's filled with real people, with real problems, with real struggles, with just messiness going on. And sometimes it's, it's easy to read the Bible, isn't it? And go, well, that was a pretty cool story. That, that's kind of like a fairy tale. But however, guys, the Bible is, is not a fairy tale, is it? It's not a nursery rhyme. It's a real book with real people who had real struggles and real issues, much like you and I. Listen to this list of some people in the Bible and, and some of the struggles they had. These are ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things. I'm, I'm going to list some of them. Abraham was old. Elijah was suicidal. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Uh, Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small and he was money hungry. The disciples, y'all, they fell asleep while they were praying. Jesus told them to pray and they fell asleep, right? And Paul, who was a Pharisee, he persecuted Christians before he even became one. These are all people with flaws, all people with mistakes, but ordinary. And, and then they were used by God to do extraordinary things. And the same can be true for you. God can use you who might, you might think I'm just a nobody. I'm just somebody that's ordinary, but God can use you to do extraordinary things. And that's the thing about it. He can take our mistakes and make them into a, a miracle. And he can take, turn our, our misery into a ministry. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And God uses this man Ehud to rescue the people of Israel, to be their deliverer from this king. But how does he do it? You say, well, how, how does that happen? I, I want to I go through this story in the Bible and walk through it together because I think that's, that's kind of one of the coolest things about this story. It's super, super different. And, and I just want to put a little disclaimer on here. It's a little bit graphic too, okay? So if there's kids around, it, it's a little bit of a graphic story, but we're going to walk through this together. In, in uh, Judges 3.15b, uh, it says this, the Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to the king Eglon of Moab. So every so often they would have to take this tribute to him. It was basically, that was part of the oppression and the reign of, of the Israelite king. They had to come and, or excuse me, of the king over Israelite. They had to come and bring this tribute. And it was a strain on the, on the, on the government or the strain on the economy of the Israelites had to bring some kind of tribute, some kind of money, some kind of maybe crop or, or something like that, or, or valuable that they had. But then here's what Ehud does. Look at verse 16. So Ehud made a double edged dagger that was about a foot long. He made a double edged dagger that was about a foot long. And I like this guy. He makes his own daggers. He's probably from Pendleton. Okay. But he makes this dagger, and, and some versions say it's about a foot long. Some say it's about a cubit, which is around about 18 inches long. You know, I, I spent most of the weekend in my shop uh, honing this one and making this one uh, for you guys today, so you can appreciate it. Um, actually, this one says made in China. Um, 
But it says this, that he kept it strapped to his right side. You remember Ehud was a left-handed man. He kept it strapped to his right side. Now, why is that interesting? Because back in that day, most folks, most people were right-handed. So they would draw the sword from their left side to fight. So when they went in to offer tribute to this king, he had it strapped to his right side and it probably went unnoticed. So it says this, he had it strapped to his right side, keeping it hidden under his clothing. Now, when I, when I walked in earlier today with this on my side, I was trying to make sure our safety team didn't try to tackle me, okay? Um, but I got my blade on, I was ready, all right? But then it says this, he brought the tribute money to Eglon and it says who was very fat. He's a very fat king. Um, and I started thinking about that. You, can you imagine a fat king in Bible times? I mean, guys, this guy wasn't sitting around calling in Uber Eats and DoorDash, right? He wasn't calling, he wasn't ordering from the drive-thru of McDonald's and, and eating Big Macs and calling up Burger King and eating Whoppers, right? What did he have to do to get fat back in Bible times? I mean, he probably had a pretty good life. They're bringing him all this stuff. But it says this, verse 18, after delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon. He went to the king and he said, hey, I've got a secret message for you. And the king was really excited about this. He wanted to hear it. So he ordered to his servants around the room. He said, be quiet, silence. And basically they knew that was the signal. It's our time to leave. The king wants to be alone and receive this message. Verse 20, Ehud walked over to Eglon who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud says to him, I have a message from God for you. So Eglon's all ears and he rises from his seat. He, the Bible says he raised up from his seat and then Ehud draws this sword. Now, the interesting thing about the sword that I, that I read was this, that most swords back in, in Bible times that were made were one-sided for, for fighting, for battle. But he made this double-edged sword. And as Eglon rises from his seat to receive this message, Ehud draws the sword with his left hand and he sticks it right in the belly of Eglon, the fat king. And this is how fat he is. He sticks it in there, not just a little bit, but all the way till the handle of the sword disappears. And the Bible says that it literally disappears in his stomach and it, it, it is, his insides are, are pouring out. And Ehud leaves this sword in there. And then he escapes, verse 23. Basically, Ehud locks the door and it says he escaped down the latrine. In other words, he, he kind of went out the back door of the bathroom, which is interesting. And after Ehud was gone, the Bible says, the king's servants returned and found the door to the upstairs room locked. They knocked on the door and they kind of got the busy signal. They didn't know what was going on, so they waited. And I love one version says that they waited to the point of embarrassment. You imagine they, they thought he was in the bathroom. So they waited and, and, but when the King didn't come out after long delay, they became concerned. All right. 
That sounds like uh, some of our, our wives waiting on our husband, their husbands to come out of the bathroom, right? I don't know about y'all, if y'all have that trouble. When I'm, I tell my wife I need to go to the restroom, she's like, wait a minute. Huh? Huh? Come back here. Do you have your phone with you? You know, you got your phone because she knows if I have my phone, I'm going to be in there a while, right? And, uh, but, you know, you ladies who are moms, you, you don't have that convenience, do you, just to be in the bathroom forever and create an office of the bathroom. Um, you know, for you, you, you deal with this. This is what all moms deal with, right? Is there moms in the room? And, and in Pendleton, you guys can relate to this. The little fingers, mommy, I want this, I want that. But they're waiting in there to the point of embarrassment. And then here's what happened. Got a key. When they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down the hills. Here's, here's the thing I, I want y'all to understand this morning. As the, the Israelites called out to God, he sent a deliverer and God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, but God also sends help in our time of need. He sends help in our time of need. Says this, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them and his name was Ehud. It reminds me of the story of Jesus and, and his friend Lazarus who had died. You know, they're, they're all gathered around. Jesus is in another part of town and his friend Lazarus dies and Mary and Martha, they're there and Jesus, you know, gets there. And when they go to Jesus, they say, Jesus, if you would have been here sooner, Lazarus would not have died. The Bible says that he'd been dead, you know, four days already. And as they're telling Jesus this, Jesus, you know, he's coming and, and he feels what they feel. And the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He felt what they felt. You know, it seemed like he was late. Seemed like he was going to be late, but guess what? He was right on time because he was able to call Lazarus from the grave and raise him up. And that's the cool thing about Jesus is God sends help in our time of need. He hears what you are saying. He feels what you feel. He knows about when you're hurting. He's not shocked by your circumstances. Thank God we don't serve a God who's up in heaven worried and, and wondering what's going to happen. But he understands you and he knows right where you're at. He may not come when you want, but listen, He's going to send help and he's always going to be on time, isn't he? So he sends help in our time of need. He promises us in his word. In Deuteronomy, we can read how he's not going to abandon us. And, and Psalm 34, 17 says this, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. You may say, well, Joseph, what, is it, what about the times in my life when, man, it just seems like things are, are falling apart? Where was God when I lost so much? And, and, and God's saying, listen, I hear you and I'm right there with you. I'm sending help. It may not be exactly when you think it needs to be, but it'll be right on time. God sends help in our time of need. And then look what happens next in the story. Judges 3, 27 through 30. When he arrived, he being Ehud, arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to alarms. Then he led a band of Israelites down the hills. 
follow me. He said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him and the Israelites took control of the shadow crossings of the Jordan river across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. Now watch what happens. Verse 29, they attacked the Moabites. Their King is dead. And he killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day. And look at that. The result of God sending help in their time of need, there was peace in the land for 80 years. Here's, here's point three this morning. Is God repairs and restores what is broken. We sang about that earlier. That he, he restores, he repairs what is broken. You know, they had messed up for 80, for 18 years. They had been under the reign of this king, but they called out to God and he heard their prayer. And I don't, I don't know about you, but man, there's been some moments in my life where I've just really made a mess of things. I've made some bad choices. I've done some things that I'm not proud of in the eyes of God. But, but here's the thing. Aren't you glad we serve a God of second chances? A God that offers forgiveness and grace to us. A God that loves us and cares for us and can take our brokenness and turn it into something beautiful. You know, I was, I was thinking about that. And a while back, we had bought this closet organizer for my son, Josiah. And I think we have a picture of it here. It was just one of these little cheap wire things that he could put clothes on or whatever. Well, he was playing with it and it wasn't made very well, but he kept breaking it. And as a dad, you know, and a parent, that's, that's kind of frustrating. Your kids are breaking things you're buying. And I was all the time having to fix this thing. And one day he said, daddy, will you fix my closet? You know, I broke it again and I go in there and I'm trying to fix it. If you've ever had one of these things, it's like Jenga. Okay. It's not made the best. I mean, it's soup. We got these stinking crazy plastic pieces you got to put together. So I'm like trying to fix it. And I stand this side up and I get this side up and I get ready and one side falls over, put it back up. And it keeps falling over and over and over. And finally I just get frustrated and I take my fist and just bam, break the whole shelf, break the whole shelf. I'm just tired of dealing with this broken shelf that my son had broken. And at that moment, it, for me, it was like one of these God smack moments. And as I'm looking at the broken pieces of the shelf that my son had broken, it was like God said to me, look at you, Joseph. You're the father of your son trying to fix the broken pieces and put back together what your son has broken. But what you don't know is this, Joseph, that I sent my son who was broken for you to fix your brokenness. I come to repair what you've broken. And in that moment, I thought, man, God, thank you. That even though I mess up, even though I've got all this brokenness in my life, you put things back together. You repair and restore what is broken. And I knew God needed to fix something in me. It reminds me of what's in Romans 7. You, I, I'm probably not going to read this in its entirety, but the apostle Paul here is writing these words. And I think it's, it's so good to see his words and experience kind of the, the tension of these verses, because I believe it, it describes every one of us who are trying to live our life for Jesus. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. 
That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Anybody ever felt that way? I want to do what's right, but I can't. He says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Anybody ever been there? He says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am really not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Here's the thing, y'all. Our brokenness, even though we've given our lives to Jesus, we still have sin in our life. And, it, and, and it's a struggle. He said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. But he says this, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, listen to these words. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You remember I told you the last point that we can learn from the life of Ehud and what he did. The people had messed up. They, had, they were just broken. And God sends this deliverer. And we know that God repairs and restores what is broken. So you and I are broken. Paul's like, man, we're, I'm broken. What do we do? There's this huge problem. And he says, but this is the answer. Thank God. Verse 25, the answer in, is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're searching for an answer to fix your brokenness this morning, the answer is Jesus, guys. It's Jesus. Amen. So he says this. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God, but it's because of my sinful nature, I sin. But here's the good news. So there is now, because of what Jesus has done, because God repairs and restores what is broken through his son, Jesus, who was broken for you and I, he says this, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad of that? no longer any condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Guys, God repairs and restores what was broken. And Jesus was broken on the cross so that you and I might be healed. So that we might be healed. We're broken people in a broken world. And the amazing thing is, is God picks up all these broken pieces and he puts them back together like a puzzle and he creates a masterpiece with our life. And the Bible, in fact, even says that now because we're in Christ, we're a new creation. That the old life, the old things of our past are gone and we've got a new life that's begun. And Ehud was sent to deliver the Israelites from turmoil and the reign of this evil and fat king and peace was brought to them for 80 years. But here's the good news. You might be like the Israelites. You just keep getting back into the same situation. You know, you say, man, I, I really am trying to get close to God. I'm trying to do the right things and I keep falling back into just this broken mess. And the Israelites... They had messed up for 18 years, but God brought peace to them when someone cried out, sent a deliverer named Ehud and restored peace for 80 years. And here's the thing. God sent his son, Jesus, to repair your brokenness, to restore your brokenness so that you, you not just have peace in your life for 80 years, but guys, so you can have peace everlasting 
a peace that passes all understanding is what Jesus offers for you. So when I, I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. How does God want to use you? Because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. How does God need to help you in your life? How are you crying out to him? Because I promise you, when you cry out to him, he sends help in your time of need. But lastly, are you broken this morning? Is your life a mess? Because I believe that God repairs and restores what is broken. And this morning, if, if that's you, the answer is Jesus. And I'd love to give you an opportunity for him to set you free, for him to be Lord of your life. So if you're here in the room and you're there in Pendleton, would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? You'd say, man, I, I just want Jesus to fix my brokenness. You could pray a prayer like this. If you don't have a relationship with him, you'd say, dear Jesus, I'm broken. God, I, I've really messed some things up in my life. I'm a sinner. And God, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to fix my brokenness. Lord, I ask that you forgive me of my sin. That you come into my life and save me from my sin. Lord, I ask you to be my savior. God, help me in spite of my mess to live for you. God, use me as someone who's ordinary to do something extraordinary for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you. I want to pitch it back over to Pastor Greg and Pendleton. You guys give it up for Pendleton people as we send them off. The last thing I want to close with, with you guys here in the room is this. Is that first of all, if you don't know Jesus again, he's the one that can fix your brokenness. He can repair and restore what's broken in your life. But also, if you're a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus and you say, man, I live my life for Jesus. I want to live my life for Jesus. But man, I, I just keep messing up. Look, you're not alone. You're not alone. Tell somebody about that. We say here that life is better together. Get in a connect group. Find a mentor. Find someone to disciple. You can talk to any of us as pastors and leaders, and we want to help you. I want to thank you guys so much for being here today. Let me pray for you, and I'll send you out. God, we love you. Thank you so much for each person here. Thank you for the families that they represent. And God, thank you that in spite of our, our brokenness and our mistakes, God, you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God, help us to live for you. Help us to go out of here different than when we walked in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.